Lord God, if your Son is raised to be Lord over the whole realm of nature and what is far greater, a single human soul, then we pray you'd renew our confidence in the good news that he represents for our world and those we care for. Amen. Do please take a seat. What I'm trying to do tonight is to try and bring two surfaces together, rather in the way that you might bring two pieces of Velcro, I suppose, together. What we've started to do in identifying some bad news is think how the news that fills our airwaves and our print can be related to bad news that God cares about and wants to do something about. But very often, then, the problem becomes, yes, okay, I can see that, oh, uh, a war is about to happen. That's bad. But how, what am I supposed to do? Do I go to my workplace tomorrow or to uni and say, yes, war is about to start, and that's terrible, isn't it? But you know there's good news because Jesus has come, and Jesus has died for you on the cross, and then he's going to come back and try and get it all out at once because that's the right answer. That rarely works. Perhaps if you have found that to work in some experience of yours, I'd love to hear about it. The surface is prepared by what's around us. One surface is prepared. That surface, however, meets us. And the classic mistake that lots of Christians make is feeling that we've got to hit, hit it with everything all at once. And that just kind of is like a really smooth, Teflon-covered surface. No one can get any purchase on it. So if you imagine that the, the news uh, and what's going on in people's lives, because that's news too. After all, it might be really terrible that we're going to war, but it might also be that your neighbor has got someone who's in the forces and they're very anxious. Uh, our job is to kind of find the, uh, the other part of the Velcro that will link in to what is going on. And what I want to do is to unpack a little of... The, uh, the process that uh, a friend of mine, Paul Weston, came and talked to the men's weekend uh, about a couple of years ago on using the gospel, the gospels, to tell the gospel. And one of the most powerful ways to do it that Jesus himself used all the time is not to go, go in with everything blazing, but to ask questions. So, for example, it might be that someone knows uh, that you are a follower of Jesus. Knowing that they're a fo- you're a follower of Jesus, faced with some awful tragedy, they may say to you, well, where's God in all that then? That means that there's a question to be asked. Can we have a first slide, please, Richard? About where is God? There are situations in the world where people feel God is far off. Or perhaps that He may be there, but he's so far away, it makes no practical difference. Where do we go in the Gospels to have an answer to that? We remind ourselves that God has come to be with us. He has not remained a God far off and high up, but he has joined us. He has come to be alongside us. And you tell the story of uh, either the birth of Jesus, or if you're feeling posh, Isaiah chapter Uh, 7 and chapter 9, about God being with us. What does it mean for Emmanuel, God, to be with us in some terrible desolation of our spirit? 
One of the things I feel quite strongly is that we can be quite good, actually, at meeting people if they've, if they've got some really bad thing happening. You can find yourself sometimes going, oh, good, I'm really pleased that I've got a really bad scenario in front of me because I know what I'm supposed to say about that. But what about the people who don't have anything bad news going on in their life? What about the self-centered, those who feel there might be more? Well, uh, One of the great moments, it seems to me, of the gospel is uh, where Jesus is baptized and uh, a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Uh, One of the great things, slide two please, Richard, uh, about the baptism is that it takes us further. There are people who maybe have an adequate life but they never have the confidence that they're loved deeply. They never have the the assurance that there is anyone in the cosmos who could be pleased with them. They feel their life is barely sufficient. It's not bad, it's okay. But the baptism of Jesus takes us further. Baptism is what equips him for ministry. It takes him out into the, the desert first and then into the world, into ministry. And the story of baptism of Jesus' baptism, is a story that enables us to ask a question, and questions are so important. Just as with the birth, we might ask, how, when someone says, where is God, you might, someone, you might then reply, well, how would you ever know where God was? Well, let me tell you a story about a time. So, when uh, people may feel life's okay, but there could be more, then we can tell a story that says, What would have to happen for you to believe that someone delights in you? Ask a question. Don't go in with everything blazing saying, I'm going to give you an answer. I haven't got two answers yet. This is just questions. What would have to happen to let you believe that God delights in you? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a time when this man went into a river and he was baptized and then you're away. What about a person different now, very common in our world, who feels that the world is ruled by scarcity? Scarcity of riches, scarcity of health, scarcity of opportunity, so that they feel constrained, trapped. They feel they've got the rough end of the deal. Well, ask them a question. Do you think it's always going to be dog eat dog? And then tell them of this man who went around doing good and healing people. Third, yes, thank you. Uh, There there is a different kingdom. There's a non-scarce way of being. Now, of course, that's going to take you into difficult territory. But you get there with a question. Do you think it's always going to be dog eat dog in this world? Notice if this sounds like, well, this is there are too many, there are too many things here. Surely the gospel is just one kind of thing, straight and simple. But our reading itself tells us that it's multiple 
in its aspects. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, says Jesus, quoting Isaiah 61, was our reading, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Well, there's the poor. They have good news preached to them. There's one. That's the good news. Oh, but he sent me also to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Jesus doesn't say, well, I can't do proclaiming freedom for the prisoners because I'm only supposed to do good news for the poor. It's multiple. It has many aspects. He sent me to uh, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He wanders around in his life and ministry, and so often we forget his life and ministry, doing good, healing people, making it clear that in this kingdom that's coming, there is a different kind of life. Do you think it's always going to be dog-eat-dog? These are ways in, and if we will only use the gospel, then we have built up a resource, a surface, that when someone comes to us with issues, whether they're public and political or whether they're private, we have got some way of hooking in to those issues. However, in all my ministry, I have never encountered anyone who says, do you know, Alan, life's all right, really. It's quite good, yeah, 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 thanks. And, and yeah, there's the, I mean, it's obviously a low news day. Nothing bad seems to be going on in the world. The only thing is, do you know, I've just got this feeling that I'm, I'm in deep rebellion against God. No one has ever said that to me. No one ever will say it to you, because that's not what we feel. Yet that is the heart and hinge of our gospel. Now sometimes, and possibly because I'm a bloke and bolshy, I've got friends that I may go out with a drink, and I will say, yes, that's because uh, you are actually a rebel against the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you need to sort it out. They won't come to me with that. And it depends where you want to introduce it into the conversation. But there has been a rebellion, and we are all involved in it. And you know, there was a man once who did something about it. Now, personally, most of the time, I use the others to pick up on the news in life and in politics and public stuff and work my way around to that question. And sometimes we have to listen for where it goes. It's, no one, of course, is going to say, do you know, I feel in complete rebellion. But quite often, people have a sense of shame and say, do you know, I just, I just want, I could do with feeling really clean. <coughs> do, you know what I want? do you know what I mean, Alan? That I want to feel clean. Now, you're not going to get straight from a newspaper cutting to that. But if you know what the good news is and the bad news from your newspaper cutting, and you're ready with the beginnings of this life, then you can say, okay, where do I need to pull on to make sense of this? What about someone who may say to you, look at this, what can you do, eh? What can anyone do? They're facing helplessness and despair. And it's real enough, often enough. Ask a question. Have you ever had any sign, any sense, that hope might be real? Most likely, the deepest fear of our culture is death. Have you ever had any sign that there may be hope? Because, you know, once there was this guy, and he died. 
And three days later, he rose again. Now, they may scoff, but you've got to the resurrection, which is probably not where most of our conversations go. And you're dealing then with the gospel. You're not dealing with your experience, you're dealing with the story of Jesus. What about a sixth one? This again is one for me because I want to push people who may be self-satisfied. Those who feel there's no purpose or meaning. I'm okay, but there must be more. Well, tell me about the purpose and meaning that goes on in your life. Where do you get purpose and meaning from? Because there was once someone, he said his spirit would drive us out into the world and give us purpose and meaning for the rest of our lives. And then finally, um, and I suppose it's appropriate in view of what Vitti, who put it up, calls the Death Star behind me. Um, and, and you really, it's, it's not difficult to work out why she might call it that. Um, but it's the beginning of Advent. What about those good people who complain that the world is not fair? that there's just no justice, who look at some story that you may have looked at in a quarter of an hour ago and say, what, what, do you do? What, do you, what about this? There's just no justice, is there? And you say, well, what would be fair? Where would you go looking for justice? Do you honestly believe there's no justice? You're never going to get justice. Most people believe there's no justice out there, but they want justice for themselves. Because there was a guy who once promised that he would return and all things would be set to rights. I return to that central one. I think it's that one. Uh, where the hinge and the heart of the gospel. We can say that Jesus is Lord and believe it. But these are opportunities, I would hope, Uh, just to kind of find ways in with the story of the gospel, the story of the life of Jesus, so that his lordship can actually start to find expression and at least conversation in the life of those around us. Because that finally is what it's supposed to be about. How is it that Jesus Christ can become Lord in all the different scenarios that we have been considering. What does it mean for Jesus to be king over all of it? It's just a, a visual illustration. Uh, it may, those are seven moments in the life of Jesus. Let me just actually swap that one around, because then it's more clear that what they are. Um, seven moments in the birth, life, death, return, sending of the Spirit, and so on, that just say to our world that Jesus is Lord. It's immensely difficult to get into conversations And I don't want to spend another series of three sermons or 23 sermons saying this is the gospel so that you feel like you're some sort of vessel that has to have it kind of crammed in, pushed down, learned, 
and kind of wander around and just terribly careful in case it, has to, in case it spills out. That's not the point. The point is to give you confidence that the story does the work. The crises of our world have their answer because every single issue that we face was taken by Jesus and taken to the Father. That's our confidence, our confidence in the gospel. Sometimes people say, do you know, I would talk more about Jesus. It's just that I haven't had any training. I don't really know what the, the gospel is. And my response is normally that the test of how we tell the gospel is not how much we know the gospel, but how much we know our friendships. Because it takes courage to go to some of the places I've mentioned. A light bulb went on for me early in my time here. Um, I sat down with six young guys who worked at that time for Norwich Union, as it then was. And we, they, because they were talking about how it's really difficult to talk about the gospel at work. And as they, uh, we interacted, what I realized is that they were trying to go from Formula One banter to Jesus died on the cross. That's quite a big step. And actually, the big gap was that in the middle, there was nowhere where their relationships were serious. They never went anywhere serious. Now, as a bloke, I know how difficult it is to get blokes to be serious. Those of you uh, who are women may find that it's much easier. I don't know. In my experience, he said, being very cliched, women tend to be more sensible and much go to seriousness much more easily than men will. But what I would encourage you to do is, is to find those bridge points with your relationships and friendships, get them to serious. It doesn't have to be serious all the time, but get them to serious at some point. Because once you're talking about seriousness, then you're dealing with the, the, the news items of their lives. You can go then from serious to, well, what would justice look like if it happened for you? You can go to, well, yeah, it is hard to see where God is in that. But how would you ever know where God was? Ask the questions that pull out of them the opportunities for you to go back to the story of stories, the gospel itself. Let the gospel tell the gospel. You have this equipment. You have the gospel story. It's just seven moments. You can probably think of some others if you want. That was just seven that occurred to me. The hardest one is the heart and the hinge of it, and at some point we've got to deal with the cross. But it's the, the, the way we get there. And all I hope, my prayer, is that this series has left a little bit more of an impression about how, how there is content to what the gospel is, but particularly given us the confidence that our vision statement talks about, confidence in the power of God. Because if Jesus is Lord of the whole realm of nature, if he really is Lord of it, all we are doing is taking the story to where he is already Lord of. We are not going where he has not gone. He declares his lordship in virtue of his resurrection over every single human being that's walked past in the last hour. 
We are not doing something that is uh, for us, as it were, that has come out of us. He has declared his lordship. It is only up to us to stay confident in the moments of his lordship and then take them to the world around us. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, you lived an entirely human life. I think back to the stories that used to uh, be told of how your birth was the birth out of wedlock of someone who became a refugee, uh, was in an occupied uh, territory. And in every way, at different points, you have shared what it is to know the bad news of being human. And we thank you that we can have confidence in that historic truth, that there is nothing human alien to you. So give us that confidence as we engage with our friends and relatives and neighbors. And let us find those crossover points where the story of their life meets the story of yours. And let us know the joy. We've see, we've, so many of us have been here twice today, and we've seen the joy of knowing uh, people come to Christ, express their Christian commitment to you. We want more of that joy, Lord, and we ask for it tonight. Amen.